0: Welcome back to the Sporting Around the World podcast, episode 20, Australia. My name is Bobby, and joining me as always is David. So here we are with our 10th country profile, and in honor of that milestone, we're covering our biggest country yet. Everyone knows Australia, and in the world of sports, they're a major player. But I'm curious, David, what's the first sport that comes to your mind when you think Australia?
1: Oof, I guess maybe rugby i really the first thing that comes to my mind is like the soccer because i just like that name so that's what i think of the soccer um
0: rugby rugby final answer okay r- rugby's fair yeah i think for me it's just aussie rules football because it's in the name but uh there's a lot of sports that can come to mind we'll be getting into all of the sports that they play soon enough but as always we like to begin with a little background info on our topic country so location let's be real Everyone knows where Australia is on a map. A five-year-old could point it out. Some call it a continent. Some call it the largest island in the world. But it is the largest country completely in the southern hemisphere. That's why it's called the land down under. We covered Samoa in our last country profile, and we explained Oceania. It's the region of the world that includes Australia, New Zealand, all the Pacific islands. But when we were kids, we didn't learn Oceania. We learned Australia was its own continent.
1: Yeah, which in retrospect... Kind of a slight to all those other <laughs> islands in the general area. But yeah, it was just, you know, Australia, Asia, Europe, Africa, South America, North America, and of course, Antarctica.
0: Yeah. Can't wait to cover that one. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Lots of sports are there, probably. Anyway, uh, yeah, Australia, it is large. It's the sixth largest country in the world in terms of total area. It's not just the mainland of Australia. They also have thousands upon thousands of islands, most notably the one to its South Tasmania. Now, i provided the satellite image for you, David. A lot of the country is not hospitable.
1: Yeah, uh, a good chunk of it is like the outback, right?
0: Yeah, I want to say like 80, 85 percent, probably 85 percent is just arid desert. Not fun.
1: Not only do the animals want to kill you, but also the geography. The sun. (laughs) Yeah, hot. Basically, I mean, I don't know. It's probably it's not technically a desert, but I bet it feels just like a desert.
0: Yeah, the Great Australian Desert, that's what it's called. Second largest in terms of like sand deserts behind the Sahara. Because you know, Technically, Antarctica is its own desert. It's just due to precipitation. It's dry. But obviously, the whole of Australia is surrounded by water, so it's not all dry. Most of the people are going to live around the coastal areas, primarily the east and the southeast coast. So some of the notable cities, you got Sydney, you got Melbourne, Brisbane, and Canberra, which is the capital city. Moving on, though, do you want to guess the population?
1: Oh, gosh, I feel like it's probably not huge, but it's probably still a lot. I don't know, maybe like 100 million. No, no, way less. Oh,
0: Ooh, 50 million? Even less. Ooh, 20 million. Yeah, so it's 26 million. So it's not even in the top 50 in the world in terms of population. And, you know, based with the largest land area, the only fully sovereign nations with a lower population density is Mongolia and Namibia. Wow. For how big it is, yeah, you'd think more, but uh, no, no, not, apparently not. Because everyone's just living on those coastal areas, which the cities that I listed before, we got some big cities. It's just a lot of people live in the urban areas around them. Not many are going to be living in the outback. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. So as for who the people are, Australia doesn't track data on race. So they ask for ancestry instead. So you're going to have like 80% European descent, Somewhere around 12 to 15% are going to be Asian descent. And then around 3% are going to be your indigenous people, which would include the aboriginal Australians and the Torres Strait Islanders who are separate. Now, no official language, but Australian English is the de facto language. And now the brief bullet point history. This one's actually pretty straightforward. You ready? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So people have lived in Australia for tens of thousands of years, but European contact first happened in 1606 and it was the dutch who actually found australia and they called the land new holland but they didn't stick around they didn't colonize it or anything so the british they came along much later and they would establish a penal colony called new south wales on january 26th 1788 and that is now australia day naturally the british would expand their territory they eventually ended up with six colonies and they would unite on january 1st 1901 as the federation of australia the Statute of Westminster would be adopted in 1942, and that would effectively give Australia independence. And after World War II, you'd have an immigration boom to the country, modern Australia takes off, and today, major economic hub of Oceania, one of the most well-known countries in the world, one of the largest economies too. And yeah, that's Australia in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, I feel like Australia kind of has a similar story to us. We're kind of known as like the off english-speaking you know there's like the prim and proper british and then you have you know whatever we became and whatever australia became you know they kind of we kind of did our own things um i don't know if they
0: view it us as the same way but i you know we're, we're kind of the same we're one of the same in, in a way so it's funny uh the reason that they started pushing for colonization in australia was because they had just lost the united states you know think of the dates like 1780s that's when they're coming over to australia for the first time let's move into the sports though So I want to start this one off with cricket. Now, Australia doesn't have an official national sport, but cricket would probably take the title if you were to ask an Australian. It's enjoyed by the entire country, and they're quite good at it. They've been playing the sport for over two centuries, and they even played the first ever test cricket match in 1877. That was at the iconic Melbourne Cricket Ground. Australia beat England by 45 runs in that match
1: this is where you would chant usa usa if it was us but you know i don't know if there's
0: like oh ozzy ozzy oi, oi." is that what it is, that, is that they, do that, they do that um i did look into that chant i think it originated in england with a different beginning
1: oh kind of like how yankee doodle is god save the queen kind of thing you know we just steal stuff and like <laughs> repurpose it or no it's not yankee doodle what is it what is the god save the queen but it's a. Uh, The American kids song. My country tis of thee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a straight rip of (laughs) just a spit in the face, you know, of England. Yeah, sorry. Just a brief tangent.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, 1870s, they're already starting off. England can't win at their own sport. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Sorry, British people out there. I do want to mention the Melbourne Cricket Ground It now has over 100,000 seating capacity one of the largest stadiums in the world for any sport. You talk about cathedrals of sport. Like th- these are the hallowed grounds of the world where sport takes place. Breathtaking.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine being in the same building, I guess, uh, you could call uh, with 100,000 other people.
0: Yeah, I mean we have tons of football stadiums here in the US, be it NFL or college, but I don't know. I think just the historical ties that the Melbourne Cricket Ground has. Not many can compare to it. Now, as far as the accolades go with Australian cricket, the men's team, they've won the Cricket World Cup a record five times. Most recently, they did it as hosts in 2015. And just for your information, no one else has more than two World Cup titles. And they also won the T20 World Cup for the first time in 2021. And on the women's side, they've won the most World Cups with seven, and they have won five T20 World Cups, which is also the most.
1: Straight up smashing in the cricket world.
0: Yeah. Look, cricket as an American, I just view India first, which I know isn't the case. Like they are really good and they've come a long way. But I think it's just because that's the only sport I associate with them. Australia has a lot of things. You just don't realize they are the dominant force of cricket.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, recency bias, too, is also a thing. India most recently have been very, very good at cricket. And so that's kind of hard not to see them as like the face of
0: it. Yeah, also population there. (laughs) True, true. But Australia has, I mean, they've been historically the most successful country in the world at it. And obviously with that degree of success, Australia's had some incredible cricketers. On the men's side, they may have the greatest player ever in Don Bradman. So he was a batsman, primarily played in the 30s and 40s, and he had an absolutely stupid test batting average. Which if you're not familiar, that is runs scored divided by the number of times that you were out in test cricket a normal average is probably going to be like 25 to 30 if you're good you're going to get up to like 40 or 50 and the very best ever going to push 60 radman's average was 99.94
1: that is disgusting so he almost averaged like a century per game right i think it's like a century is 100 100 yes
0: i mean that century it's not super rare but like You make a headline when you achieve a century like that's a huge accomplishment. And he was almost averaging that. That's disgusting. If we want to put it into American terms, the uh, statistical anomaly here, it would be like Babe Ruth hitting double the amount of home runs that anyone else was hitting in the early 20s. Flipping over to the women's side, though, a lot of notable players that we could mention Catherine Fitzpatrick. She was one of the fastest bowlers in the world during the 90s. Belinda Clark in the conversation for best women's player ever and was also captain of the national team. But the one that I want to talk about, she's still active, and that is Elise Perry. Now I could list up a bunch of stats, not going to do that. She's an all-rounder, she's dominated while batting and while bowling. But what really helps her cause in the whole greatest of all time debate, T20 cricket, it exists now. It wasn't a thing before, but now T20 exists. So she has the ability to dominate at that. And she can play on test games and she can play in, you know, the one day internationals. Now She thrives under the T20 format. She was on all five of Australia's T20 World Cup winning squads. And this is cool. She played at the 2011 FIFA World Cup and even scored a goal there. Wait, what? Yeah. She played two sports professionally at the highest level. That's crazy.
1: I can't think of any. I mean, I guess like the closest person we have to that would be like Bo Jackson right yeah Bo Jackson and I guess didn't Dion Dion played baseball as well so and they weren't like elite level though you know like they just you know I mean Bo Jackson was really good he got hurt we'll never know what what could have been but you know that's like pinnacle that's like yeah. the, the
0: very best world cup level of two of the biggest sports in the world and she had to choose one and ended up choosing cricket and it, it's paid off and she's young 32 I
1: mean you could theoretically play for A a good bit while, uh, I I assume you you don't age out at like 40. You know, I assume like you're still probably capable. It doesn't seem like it's too maybe you can't bowl, but you know, I'm sure you can hit. You know, I don't know what the men do late 30s. It's probably doable, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's at least got another World Cup cycle in her. We're not super involved in the cricket world, so let us know. Is she the greatest of all time? It
1: seems like it would be a bad decision to bet against her at this point,
0: yeah. Um, the last thing to mention with cricket though, the test series between England and Australia, it's known as the Ashes. It's one of the oldest rivalry matches in the world, and Australia has the winning record all time in that series. I think the story behind it was that Australia beat England on English soil and it was like the first time England lost at home, and then someone wrote an article saying that Australia took the Ashes of England cricket back home with them.
1: Yeah, I think there's like a rumor, too, that there's like a burned cricket ball like inside the trophy or whatever, you know, just to add add to the mysticism.
0: Yeah. Talk about biggest rivalries in the world. It's probably among the most historically uh, significant. And then there's a bunch of domestic competitions, too. Most notably is the T20 leagues. So they have one for men's and women's. It's called the Big Bash League. The men's one is top 10 attendance in the world for a domestic sports league. And the fun thing is it's currently sponsored by KFC. Yeah, who would have guessed? We're kind of going back
1: to Zimbabwe with like, uh, what's it? Chicken Inn? Is that what it's called? Yeah, (laughs)
0: yeah. Just fast food sponsoring sports. Look, purists may not like it. I think it's just kind of funny.
1: Yeah, or like when Coke, you know, is like a sponsor of like FIFA or whatever, you know, and then like you have the whole Ronaldo thing where he like takes the Coke and moves it. And, you know, they're never going to say anything because it's Ronaldo. But,
0: you know, like (laughs) it's funny. What it made me think of, though, why has KFC not sponsored an American College football bowl? Like the KFC Famous Bowl is right there. The
1: Marketing just writes itself. You don't have to pay anyone. And there's so many bowls. You can have a cheap one. You know, like. There's like 50 (laughs) at
0: this point. So let's move on from cricket. We're going to talk Australian rules football. Now, this is the one that I was most interested to learn about. So first, we got to mention the Barassi line because Australia, they have four prominent football codes that they play. You, know, you got Australian rules, you got rugby league, rugby union, and then association football or soccer. So the Barassi line, it's this imaginary line runs diagonally through the country and it divides it into two. So starting off at the border of the Northern Territory in Queensland, and then it goes down to the southeast, all the way to the southeast tip of the country at the border of New South Wales and Victoria. So now people to the east of the line, they're mainly going to be playing rugby, rugby league specifically. That's cities like Sydney and Brisbane. And on the west side of the line, you've got cities like Melbourne and Perth. They're going to prefer Australian rules football. It's just the way that those sports originated in the country. Those are the sides that tend to play it. It's kind of a weird phenomenon.
1: It's pretty neat though, you know, that there's kind of a clean break almost.
0: Yeah, there's been studies based around this. Like, this was a hypothetical line, but the data backs it up. If you look at television viewership, uh, the number of clubs on each side, I'll say that Australian rules football has seemed to seep over into Sydney and the east side of the Brassi line. Rugby league hasn't really done the same on the other side. It's mainly New South Wales and Queensland that are into that.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine anything similar happening here. Could you, like, just. Imagine like arena football being really prominent in like one part of the country, and then like you know, NFL rules being prominent in another part of the country. That would be very weird, I guess. We
0: we can't really relate. I think every state, if you ask them, it would probably be NFL football first. Uh, Maybe some of the northern states would prefer hockey, but that would still be like second or third most popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is an interesting thing. I guess that's part of what happens when you have such a big country.
1: Yeah, and with you know, a big uninhabitable like middle part, really, you know, so you have this. I don't know what city is right there on the the west. That's Perth. Okay, yeah. So with that being so far away, you know, stuff they're going to be different. If I guess in some ways the you United know, States like that, there's a big old strip of grassland where cows live, and you know, <laughs> that's pretty much more cows than people. But we're still so connected. We came in so late. We were mostly East Coast for a while, and then once we moved over, communication was there, and it just never happened here for big delineations in terms of
0: culture and stuff. I guess you see a little bit of it, but not as much here. No, it's it's not to this extent. So let's dive into the rules of Aussie rules. Well, first, the sport was first played in the 1850s in Melbourne. And the rules of the sport, they were codified really quickly. It was 1859. So technically, this makes it the oldest form of football in the world. But when you take into consideration how rules evolve when the governing bodies of all these sports were formed, it, it just gets a little bit hazy. But I think Australians, they take pride in saying like, we're technically the first.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, technically correct is the best kind of correct,
0: I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. A uh, quick rundown of the rules, though. Since this is probably the only country profile where we'll even get to talk about this sport. So 18 players per side. You have an oval-shaped ball, and the game is played on a large oval-shaped field. Typically, like, cricket grounds are going to be used. So the object of the game is to move the ball up the field and score by kicking the ball between the posts at either end of the field. We'll get to that in a bit. So to move the ball up the field, you have three options. You're not allowed to throw the ball, so you can run with it as long as you bounce the ball on the ground every 15 meters. You can pass it to your teammate, and it's done via a handball, which is essentially just punching the ball with a closed fist. And your third option is to kick the ball, usually done in a punting form. And the defense this whole time, they're trying to get the ball back, interceptions, pushing you out of bounds, or tackling mainly. Uh, If you tackle the ball carrier, the ball carrier must relinquish the ball. Now scoring. There are two tall posts at either end. Those are the goal posts. Think like American football, except that these don't have the crossbar. These just go ground straight up. On the outside of those two posts, you're going to have two smaller posts called the behind posts. So visually, you have four posts in total, two tall ones, and then on the outside, two smaller ones. They're all evenly spaced think seven yards of space between each. Now, if you kick the ball cleanly between the two goal posts in the, in the middle, you score a goal, six points. If the ball goes through the outer posts, you get a behind and that's worth one point. Now the ball can go through on the ground or it can go way above the the poles. As long as it goes between them, like in American football, it's still good. However, after the ball is kicked, if it touches any player on route to going through the goal, you're only going to get one point. So if it's deflected and still goes through, it's just one point. And if it hits the goalpost, it's still just one point. Pause there. I don't know if you know Aussie rules very well.
1: Yeah, that is a lot to take in. All sports are weird, right? When you break them down into like the service level, they're all kind of weird, you know, because we we make rules and there there are restrictions because that makes it more exciting for whatever reason. But this does seem like there's a lot of interesting choices in terms of like the handball and. The scoring, the way that works, it, it seems interesting. I, you know, I, th- I probably watched it and just assumed I was watching standard rugby.
0: Visually, it does look similar to rugby, but uh, you have to kick the ball through the goalposts, and that's how you score. Anyway, there is one last rule to mention, and that's called marking. So if the ball is kicked at least 15 meters and your teammate catches it cleanly, it's called a mark. The player who catches it, they're now allowed to take a free kick. And this might be the most iconic part of Aussie rules football because you're going to see players jumping off the backs of their opponents in order to get more airtime, and when they do that, it's called a spectacular mark or a specy.
1: Yeah, that's called uh, pass interference. Here, uh, you can't, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't do that. Uh, yeah, I, I've definitely seen these where it's like you know, like the guy who is looks like they're two body links in the air catching a ball and coming down. I can't imagine how hard that feels when like someone takes your legs out and you just are eight, 10 feet in the air and you land on your back. Oh, it's got to be
0: awful. But yeah, it looks insane. Visual spectacular stuff, hence the name. So of course, Aussie Rules has a massively popular league. It's called the AFL. So it's an 18 team league. It's existed for over 100 years. Originally, it was the Victorian Football League. So a lot of the current teams are still based in that state. And many of those teams, they're over 100 years old. So the season runs from March to September. And in terms of average attendance, the AFL is top five in the world for domestic sports leagues. Only the NFL, Bundesliga, English Premier League, and the Indian Premier League are higher. I wouldn't have guessed that. Wouldn't have uh, thought that at all. But that's, that's crazy. Yeah, it's something in the 30,000 range per game they're averaging i mean nfl is far and away the most it's like 60 thousands yeah yeah and the cool thing no single team has really been historically dominant you've got seven teams all from victoria who have won between 10 and 16 premierships. but fun stuff here let's look at the logos i've got all 18 of them pulled up with their names which one catches your eye
1: well i like north melbourne with the kangaroo like the swall yeah, the kangaroo. kangaroos yeah um But some of the, I mean, they're all kind of, I don't know how to say this. Like, they kind of remind me of some of like college logos here, you know, like college sports logos. I like the Essendon, uh, like the plane kind of reminds me of like the Winnipeg Jets almost. They're the bombers. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. I'm definitely team, team kangaroo, team uh, North Melbourne.
0: That's how I felt too, uh, just because kangaroos. But then I looked at the standings last season and they were last.
1: (laughs) Oh, that feels bad yeah all right i'm changing my pick who's in first can you
0: (laughs) do you know richmond's been good lately they are the tigers okay yeah that's fine that logo's alright. all right okay yeah i like that one i like the colors of the one next to them poor adelaide power just black and teal is really nice oh yeah that is pretty sweet i think just the cleanest logo would be the hawthorne hawks in the middle like the gold with the burgundy
1: yeah, them or the uh, the Magpies, the Collingwood Magpies. I like that one, too.
0: Last one that I want to mention is the worst one. The Greater Western Sydney Giants. Just the orange G. <laughs> what do you mean? That's classic. Everyone, knows, it doesn't even look like a G. <laughs> that's, <laughs> oh, that's also the biggest mouthful. I know they go by GWS, but like Greater Western Sydney, that is. Just take out a couple words there, you know, just uh, definitely needs a rework logo wise and maybe name wise. And they're one of the newest teams, too. Ooh, yikes. Anyway, let's move on. We're going to head back over the Barassi line for Rugby League. So if you recall from the Samoa episode, there are two codes of rugby. You have a union. That's the more popular in the world. And while Australia does play it, I mean, it's not quite as popular. Rugby League, though. So Rugby League, not as many countries are going to play it. It's really just Australia, New Zealand, and then the United Kingdom, mainly England. So they have the National Rugby League. That is the name of their top domestic competition. There's also a women's one. Those are both highly attended leagues. And a majority of the teams in those leagues are going to be based in and around Sydney, which just supports the whole Barassi line thing. Funny enough, the men's league only has one team on the west side of that line. And they also have one team in New Zealand. So it's that's how big the, the Barassi line divide is just filling out teams. Yeah, we're going to go New Zealand before we go back to the West.
1: I wouldn't make a comment on how that's kind of odd, but I guess the population, I guess, just makes sense. There's so many people on that other side.
0: So important thing to note about the the line, it's roughly divided, like half the population is on each side. Because like you still have major cities on the West and like the, the Southeast part of the country is still on the West side of the line there. Like Melbourne is on that side of the line. I don't know, it's just kind of weird that they went That there's a team from New Zealand, I mean, good for New Zealand. They like the sport too. There's probably not a whole lot of leagues out there for Rugby League. But if you want to learn more about Rugby League, no better place to watch it than Australia. Their domestic leagues are the best. Their national teams are the best. Uh, The men's team, they've won 12 out of the 16 World Cups. The women have won three out of six, with New Zealand winning the other three. That's the state of Rugby League.
1: Sheer dominance. But I guess when it's kind of only big there, and a few other places, it makes sense.
0: Yeah. Anyway, despite how popular all of these forms of football are, Australia still makes room for soccer, and we can call it that. Hooray. So uh, we mentioned Tim Cahill in the Samoa episode. Just just plug that episode a lot. Go listen to it. It's really cool. He's the men's team's all time top scorer. He was the face of the soccer ruse until he retired in 2018, but he helped usher in the current era for soccer in the country. Because I didn't know this, but the men's team only qualified for the World Cup once prior to 2006. They didn't even score there. Cahill was the first one to score for them at a World Cup in 2006. But since then, they've qualified every time, and they just had their best showing in Qatar this past tournament.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. I would not have guessed that.
0: So part of the reason is they played in Oceania before. Um, they, after the 2006 World Cup, Australia moved from the Oceania Football Confederation to the Asian Football Confederation. So in all those prior years where they weren't making the World Cup, they are typically losing in the intercontinental playoff because they would win Oceania, but then they would lose to like someone from South America or another confederation. So being in Asia has actually helped them.
1: Yeah, because of more guaranteed spots. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you get four guaranteed and then you get send one team to the playoffs. And yeah, they've been like a top five team in Asia that whole time. Now, on the women's side, their national team is known as the Matildas, and they're around top 10 in the world I'd say. They've never made it past the quarterfinals at a World Cup, but they'll be hosting in 2023, and they have arguably the best women's player in the world right now in Sam Kerr. So uh David, have you heard of Sam Kerr? Do you know anything about her? Um I think I've heard of the name. I I don't think I've watched her play. Um but she plays for for Chelsea, right? Yeah, that is correct. So, along with Kylian Mbappé, she was the cover athlete for FIFA 23. And She's just been racking up goals since around 2017. She's been top scorer in the Australian League. She came to the US, was top scorer there like two or three times. Then she moved on to Chelsea playing in the Women's Super League, helped them win uh, back-to-back league titles, and was top scorer there, of course. Uh, She's also top scorer for the Australia national team all time, still just 29 years old, and honestly could be around till the end of this decade if she decides to do that.
1: 37 is not unreasonable. He said she's 29 now. So what? Yeah. Eight more years? Yeah. Or seven more years, I guess. Yeah. Not unreasonable at all. I didn't know she was the cover athlete, though. I, I haven't seen FIFA on the shelves. I just, uh, you know, not, I'm just not looking for it. But um, that's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know if you would call her the, the face of women's soccer right now, but she has been the shining star in theoretically the most competitive women's league in the Super League. Unfortunately, women's soccer is just very, very top heavy. So like Chelsea's loaded with star players, but so is everyone else. Yeah, there's like a handful of top teams and then there's a huge drop off. Let's move on to basketball, though. A lot of sports to cover here. So speaking of standout athletes, Lauren Jackson. So she was a WNBA star player tied for the most MVP awards in league history with three. And in the international landscape of basketball, yes, the U.S. is very dominant, especially on the women's side. But Australia, they won the 2006 FIBA World Cup, and Jackson was the top scorer there. I wasn't aware that anyone else is winning these World Cups aside from the U.S. in women's basketball. But that's really cool. And she was like the star for them. Yeah, I.
1: this may be a little early, but it, I, yeah, I'm just going to go and say it because it's on my mind right now. But is Australia like the like heaviest hitting country in terms of, you know, I guess, you know, pound for pound, the like best
0: sports country in the world, if you think about population and like the athletes they produced? See, I was thinking that too when I'm going through this because the US, we play a lot of stuff. I feel like if I went through and just evaluated every sport, we might come out on top. But like the sports that everyone plays and the whole world is going to be somewhat competitive in, we don't really do the whole rugby and cricket thing. They do. And then we haven't even gotten to the rest of the sports yet. I don't know. Australia might be. And considering the population size, you might be right. Anyway, uh, men's basketball. They just continue to have more and more players in the NBA. It feels like every year they have someone going in the first round of the draft. They had their best World Cup finish in 2019. They finished fourth. Then they won bronze at the Tokyo Olympics. And then they won the Asia Cup in 2022. And they've done all that without Ben Simmons, a star of the NBA, former first overall pick. He seems to miss every international tournament for whatever reason, and he has been injured a lot. But Australia, they... They're making ground. They're probably the best that they've ever been in basketball.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of I guess the story of this is, you know, if you can play it, Australia's pretty good at it. You know, there's not many things. It seems like, you know, they've had someone who's been really good.
0: Yeah. Takeaway, Australia's good at a lot of things. But we're not done yet. So let's do a little quick fire around. So Australia, they've been world champ in both men's and women's field hockey, because of course they have. They've been by far the best country in netball, winning 11 out of the 15 World Cups there. Uh, Baseball, they're kind of prevalent in that. They've had quite a few professionals go to Japan as well as the United States. Uh, Right now, they have one of the best relief pitchers in Major League Baseball, Liam Hendricks. Surfing, Australia's been instrumental in the development of that as a sport. And Quicksilver, that's a big brand there, a billabong as well. And they've had some of the most prominent surfers ever, like Stephanie Gilmore right now uh motorsports the australian grand prix has been a staple of the formula one tour for a while now they also have had a three-time world champ and jack Brabham. golf there have been a lot of notable golfers in australia's history Kerry webb won seven majors and then adam scott is the only australian to win the masters and i remember that one because right after he won it i was in high school and it was like a bonus question on a quiz I took. Like, who won the Masters? And I was like, I know that. I know that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I just someone needs to nerf Australia. I guess when you live in a country where you know, jokingly, the animals all kill, want to kill you, and you know the weather's not so good in some places. You know, you just, you just, uh, you get tough. You can do whatever if you, if you manage to grow up. All jokes aside, it, it's kind of crazy just how good they are.
0: Yeah, there's just so many that we, we could have took a deep dive onto any of those sports but yeah, you know we have to draw the line somewhere otherwise this episode just draw out forever so I decided upon tennis to be one to take that deeper dive part of the reason for that the Australian Open it's coming up soon it's one of the four major championships or Grand Slam events of tennis and it's the first one on the calendar year takes place in January and I don't watch a lot of tennis but I feel like I follow this one the most because it takes place in our winter months and I feel like I'm just inside more often I guess
1: Yeah, and I think sports in general are very slow in January, right? Because what's going on, the NBA and hockey, and that's about it, really? I mean, football, it's like... Oh, yeah, I guess playoffs, but it's early January, you know, yeah. So, oh, I guess, yeah, it's entire journey because, yeah, Super Bowl's in February. Yeah, but I think, yeah, it being cold and rainy and, I guess, snowy some places, it is easier to to catch the Australian Open. Out of all the majors, that's probably... Wimbledon's probably the one I watch the most, but otherwise, yeah, Australian Open is, is probably
0: second. We ought to mention a few players, though, because Australia's had a ton of notable ones. On the men's side, only eight players have ever won the career Grand Slam, meaning that they won all four majors at least once. Now, out of those eight players, four of them have done it twice, meaning they won every major tournament twice. And two of those four are Australian. So we have Roy Emerson. He won 12 Grand Slam events in singles, 16 in doubles. So yeah, he completed the career Grand Slam in doubles as well as singles which is something that no other player in the men's game has done before now the other guy is rod laver he won 11 grand slam singles events but he could have had even more so the story here in 1962 he won the calendar grand slam so he won all four of the majors in the same calendar year and that's only happened once before him he would turn pro and that prevented him from participating in major tournaments for a few years because they only allowed amateurs at this time. So it wasn't until 5 years later, 1968, that the open era began, and that's when professionals could participate in the major tournaments again. So what does he do? He wins the Calendar Grand Slam again in 1969. And to this day, he's the only male player to do that twice. Ew. So 7-year gap? A 5-year gap. 7-year gap from him winning the Calendar Grand Slam, but there was 5 years that he was not able to yeah and that's his five years like
1: yeah yeah he lost the best yeah the best time to be playing that's disgusting that's filthy
0: so in those five years though there was a pro tour and he won eight of the major pro tournaments like they had a wimbledon pro and a u.s open pro that sort of thing so he won eight of those major tournaments in that five years so in a different timeline you could say that he had 19 grand slam titles and that puts him up there with federer nadal Djokovic. Today, he's still kind of seen as, like, fourth best. He's the best of the rest behind those three. But in another timeline, he's probably more in the conversation, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess for better or for worse, number of titles seems to be the clear separator between people. And uh, one day, we'll be able to see simulations of different people playing each other at different times. You know, they'll have them all, like, you know, fully characterized out. And, you know, maybe we'll get to see some, some iconic matches.
0: Yeah, I mean, that'll be cool. Like, the thing with Tennis is the evolution of the sport over time. Players become more physical, stronger, that sort of thing. I mean, humans in general become bigger, faster, stronger. So that's the whole thing on the men's side. It's the big three of today who are going to be in the greatest of all time conversation. So on the women's side, there's a similar thing here. So Australia, they have a player in that conversation, Margaret Court. Now, in terms of success, it's undisputed that she was number one. 24 Grand Slam singles titles is the most ever for anyone. And you combine that with all of her doubles Grand Slams and her mixed doubles Grand Slams, it goes up to 64 major titles. But since other people have had comparable level success, at least individually in recent years, and as the sports become more competitive, Court is usually ranked like third or fourth and Serena Williams and Steffi Graf are like, I think Serena Williams is cemented number one.
1: Yeah, I think that is just the nature of, well, sports in general, right? Recency bias is one thing, and but with women's sports especially is as it goes on, you know, those early champions who won a bunch of stuff, um, and there's not as much competition, they're always going to have that little asterisk mark, whether it's just or not that oh well they weren't really competing against anyone and they were the only one at that level. Who's to say how good they really were? That's unfortunate, but it happens. Um but sixty four
0: titles is insane. It doesn't make sense. Did all did all she could. Yeah, no one can take the trophies away though. So we always wrap these up with the Olympics. Australia, they've participated at every single edition of the Summer Games and all but one of the Winter Games. Uh, They've also hosted the Summer Games twice. They had Melbourne in 56, Sydney in 2000, and they'll host again 2032 in Brisbane. So unsurprisingly, Australia are among the most successful ever in the Summer Games. Where do you think they rank all-time?
1: All-time, so that's for both, both games, yeah.
0: Uh, just summer, just summer. Oh, just summer. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um,
1: third. So, not quite.
0: They're eighth. Oh, okay. Okay, 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 okay.
1: Still pretty good. And, like, I, I'm sure there are places in Australia to do winter activities.
0: There are. We didn't even mention the Australian Alps.
1: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> sure. So, you know, I'm sure it's it's not like they don't have it available. But, yeah, I mean,
0: eighth is still still pretty good. Yeah, so that's eighth in the summer games. 547 total medals in the summer games just 19 in the winter but you've sent people just about every time you name a sport australia has probably had someone perform well in it but far and away can you guess what the most successful olympic sport is i feel like an easy
1: guess would be track but i don't know anyone in recent years who's been like them being dominant in track and field um but
0: but this has a lot of
1: events and so it's kind of like the easier one i guess like historically they've been pretty good swimmers recently i'm gonna say swimmers
0: Yeah, swimming is far and away because that also has a ton of events too. Yeah, true, true. So they've had a lot of notable swimmers, but Emma McKeon, she was the star of the Tokyo 2020 games, four golds, three bronzes, the largest medal hall of the tournament. And she was just setting Olympic and world records left and right. We got like freestyle swimming, the freestyle relay, medley relay, and she'll be 30 years old for Paris 2024. So she could add to those to her eleven total medals, potentially moving to like the top five all time in Olympic medals. It's that's insane. Like Michael Phelps, far and away the most, but it's really congested around the the early teens. She could move up into top five, top three, maybe.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. And like thirty is a good age, you know. You're not really at the point where people are like, oh, you're you're slowing down. I feel like you're still kind of in your prime. You're still capable of you know competing with the young guns.
0: I'd say, unfortunately, that it might be your last chance.
1: I don't know, 34. 34 would be pushing it when you have like 16 year olds and 18 year olds who are fresh out, you know, no injuries, because it just happens with, you know, being in the game that long, you
0: know, stuff like that. And in a competitive country like Australia, there's someone breathing down your neck the entire time.
1: Yeah, yeah. And when you're in a country like that, eventually, you know, it just it happens faster. People surpass you faster and like the team's gonna or the country's gonna make the best choice to give medals it's not going to be you know oh you're important you know it's like no we want to put the best people in the free in the medley we want to put our best people in the freestyle because we want to win the gold
0: right right i should also mention paralympics really successful too i think third most all time in the summer games so you were right with the guess Where we go with paralympics
1: uh, yeah I, that's what i was guessing i definitely wasn't trying to guess the other one i was guessing <laughs> Paralympic Games.
0: it was a trick question yeah you got me there uh, <laughs> but again it's swimming uh is that their that's their main thing. Matt Cowdery is gonna be the one to shout out there. Twenty-three medals in total. There are a lot more medals given out in the Paralympics though. There's more events, but I mean twenty-three.
1: Oof. Yeah, yeah. That that's
0: no joke. You wanna win one, that's an, a huge accomplishment. Top three in the world in something, but twenty-three times you're on that podium.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Insane.
0: So I think we'll end this one here. Again, there was a lot of sports we could have taken a deeper deeper dive into. We wanted to highlight the ones that felt most pivotal to Australia's identity. And honestly, Aussie rules football was the one that I really wanted to look into. It's a really cool sport. It's the one I spent the most time watching while doing the research for all this. So maybe we'll do a follow up on that and some of the other sports like netball in the future. I think you get the picture, though. Australia has made a huge mark in the world in terms of sports and in a lot of different sporting events. So, yeah, David, you want to give a preview for next week's episode?
1: Yeah, I guess similar to the part of the last one where we talked about meta change. Uh, The next one's going to be on like a a meta change of of a pretty big sport that we've talked about before. That's all I'll say. It followed like a recent event, uh, which is why I wanted to look into it. But yeah,
0: it's uh, revolving around a a sport changing completely. So look forward to that. And the week after that, we'll do another country profile. We're going back to Europe. I guess your hint for this one, some controversy around the name of this country. If you know geography, that kind of gives it away. But look forward to that. Look forward to every episode because we're here every week.
1: Forever.
0: (laughs) Until we run out of countries and sports, which is never. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening.
1: Subscribe. Uh, The biggest thing you can do for us is share. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll see you next week. We'll see you next year. Happy New Year. Oh, true. Yeah. Happy New Year. Goodbye. Bye.